Welcome back, AAP subscribers and Action Alerts Plus podcast listeners. Chris Versace here, and I have to say, folks, uh, you're in for a real treat today. I'm actually talking with someone I've known for for quite a while now. Can't believe we met through Twitter, and we've spoken in person uh, more than a few times when I'm on the floor at the New York Stock Exchange. That's right, folks. We are welcoming to the fold one, Mr. Jay Woods. Chief Global Strategist at Freedom Capital Markets and a board member at the CMT Association. And as I kid him, he's been kicking around the New York Stock Exchange in one form or another since about 1992. So he may know a few things. So buckle up and you're going to enjoy this conversation. Trust me. So, Jay, with that, I, I hope I... Uh, did you justice in that quick intro? Because I know from having speak, having spoken with you uh, in person, on the phone, that you're a simple wealth of knowledge and information. Well, thank you for that warm introduction. Uh, it makes me feel a little old is what it does. Uh, I have been down <laughs> on the stock exchange floor since 92, uh, mostly uh, 28 years as a specialist, aka market maker, uh, where I got to really uh, get involved in the action and uh, the hand-to-hand -hand combat as we transformed into technology, embracing the technology changes. And then uh, I've been able to make this nice pivot to more of a market strategist. And uh, uh, I'm very happy uh, with the team here at Freedom Capital. We're, we're doing great things. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's talk, since you are the market strategist at Freedom Capital, let's talk about your thoughts on the market. Because, you know, I, I catch your newsletter and I think it's great. Um, but uh, you've been saying that this has been a textbook rally. Why do you say that? Well, you mentioned that I'm on the board of directors of the CMT. I'm a chartered market technician. I look at price action first. Uh, yes, I'm aware of all the fundamental moves behind what goes on. But as a trader, uh, one thing uh, only stood true and only price paid. So I follow price very closely and price has a history of telling a story. I mean, what is the first thing anyone does when they look up, uh, you know, they ask you about a stock you don't know. They look up the chart and that chart tells you the story. And the story that I'm seeing right now in the market is one of, uh, you know, pretty, pretty positive uh, price action here. We, we are taking what I call a roundabout uh, in this market. 2022 was a horrible year. It was a bear market. Uh, some of the biggest name stocks were down upwards of 30, 40, 50%. And now they're starting to rebound. And when people look at it, they're like, oh, wow, look at Meta's up 100%. Look at NVIDIA's up 200%. But look at where they came from. And a lot of these stocks are just getting back to their highs, which ironically were January 4th, 2022. The first day of trading uh, of 2022 hit our highs. Um, and we're just making full circles. Some of those stocks have broken out, like a Microsoft, like a NVIDIA. Meta just making a 52-week high has room to run. Those are the leaders. What I'm looking now are some of the followers, some of the stocks under the surface that are just starting to lift their heads. And to me, you have the technicals in place, and then you have the fundamentals falling in place as well. The Fed is taking their foot off the gas. They may even cut down the road. We'll talk about this a little later. Um, but the setups are there for us to go higher. Uh, the, the path of least resistance to me is higher. And then what is starting to move now are the beaten down sectors. Uh, industrials are up on the year. Materials are up on the year. In fact, there are only four sectors down on the year. And it's energy, which was the leader for two years in a row. And it's down less than 1% as we tape this. Um, and then the two bottom ones are staples and utilities. Well, staples and utilities lagging 
is a very bullish thing. You don't want to see them lead. Uh, so to me, we're getting the rotation, and the tide is starting to lift more boats. Not all boats, but more boats. And I think that bodes well as we go into year-end and kick off 2024. Now, I... I Totally appreciate that, Jay. But there, there is a school of thought out there that we've run pretty hard, pretty fast since October 27th, right? I mean, we've seen the S&P 500 move 10, 11%. It faces some technical resistance ahead. Um, does this concern you at all? Or, or are you kind of like me that uh, the old Coca-Cola, you know, saying a pause to refresh, take some of the froth out could be a good thing? I, I always use the word digest our gains, but I, I like your adage of uh, refreshing because I think that's what's happening. Yes, we bottomed on October 27th. Uh, the market was tremendously oversold. And when I talk about overbought and oversold, I look at the RSI and oversold is under a reading under 30. Overbought is a reading over 70. We had we went from October 27th, an oversold condition within a month to an overbought condition. That does not happen very often. I believe it happened five times in the last 25 years. Every time it does happen, we are higher six months later, one year later. Um, to me, we have a little bit of a washout in this market, that V bottom, and we got that V-shaped recovery. And now what are we doing? We're kind of pausing. We're digesting those gains. We're refreshing, as you nicely said. And I think that this is the positive price action. Uh, earnings. Everyone lowered their numbers. The guidance has been okay. Um, so I think we've gone through that earnings recession, and now the the you know the the path to least resistance is, continues to be higher, regardless if we pause for a few more weeks before we hit the year end. So you're. I, I want to make sure that I'm under understanding you, and therefore the listeners are too. Jay, um, big run. Could pause, maybe give some of it back, but ultimately you see the market powering higher. Is that before the end of the year or certainly in that six months later time horizon that you just mentioned or both? No, no, I I, I think we power higher into the end of the year. Um, this is the time of the year. Uh, we had some tax harvesting losses uh, on mutual funds before the beginning of November. There was some selling there. Um, now, what are we doing? We're readjusting our portfolios and we're going to chase performance. And, you know, hopefully, you know, people have been in the winter so far, but they're going to look for bargains. They're going to look for stocks that are undervalued. Where do I see that? I see that in the Russell 2000. I see that in the small caps. Uh, right now, the Russell, the IWM is what I follow when I look at the Russell. Um, that is trending right. It had a nice rebound off of its lows. Looked like it was going to break down. It didn't. And from false moves come fast moves in the opposite direction, technically. And we had that breakdown, a bear trap, some like to call it. We rebounded. Now we're right at that median threshold at the 200-day moving average and trending under it. I think we break above it. And I think the Russell will be what leads us in the last two weeks of this year and, and in January, which will basically... You know, if, if for those of us that follow these things, the January effect, uh, January effect is market, uh, watching how small caps act in January. That tends to dictate how the rest of the year goes. I see that setup playing perfectly, just like I've seen, as you mentioned at the top of the show, the technicals setting up perfectly all year. We've had the nice rally at the right seasonal times. We pulled back in September, October. October is when we historically make the most lows. We did that. And this was also a third year of a presidential cycle year, the strongest year in that cycle. It happened to work out again. Now, what are we in? 
the strongest six-month period of the year going from November to April. And I believe that the setups are there, that with the small caps now participating, the leaders continuing to act well, that this pause that we're seeing in the last few days is a very healthy pause, and it's going to set us up for the leg higher going into the first month, first six weeks of 2024. So we've got some other folks out there, other strategists from some bulge bracket firms, Jay, saying 5,100 by the end of the year. And I even think uh, Uncle Ed Yardini is saying 5,400 by the end of 2024. Um, is that kind of in your, you know, your purview, your horizon, if you will? Yeah, well, first, I do hate this time of year because everyone has to make predictions and you get yeah, yeah. pigeonholed to that number. Um, and with that said, I'll probably do the same exact thing. Um, I, I think a 5,200 price target from where we are now in the S&P 500 is very realistic. It's a 12% gain from current levels. That is slightly above average year. Now, let's go back to the presidential cycle. You know, this is a year that tends to start off well and then chop in the middle and then has mixed results towards the end. But on average, it is a slightly above average year compared to the average of 7.5-8% in the S&P 500. So, I don't think a 52 to 5400 price target is too crazy. What will scare me is if I hear everybody with those big price targets, because guess what happened last year? Everyone mm -hmm. predicted recession. It was a bear market continuation. We don't get two consecutive down years very often. It's very infrequent that it happens. Um, and we bucked that trend. And what happened? Everyone was wrong. I don't want to be in the majority. I, I like the optimism, but if it gets a little too euphoric, if everyone's now calling for 54, 5,500, that'll give me pause. You know, I have to say, I'm kind of the same way on, on a few things right now where, uh, like, for example, this morning I was chatting with some folks and they were like, wow, that uh, CME FedWatch tool, so there was a 40 plus percent chance that we could see the Fed cut in March. And yet I'm, I'm hearing Waller yesterday saying, Oh, we could pivot, but we need to see more data for three, four, five months. And I, I always get a little nervous when it appears the market's getting, you know, some folks say out over its skis, let's just say ahead of itself. And I'm a little concerned about that. And I'm, I'm a, also a little concerned about those consensus earnings expectations for the S&P 500 coming off a flat year. They're expected to pop almost 11 and a half percent. You know, if the economy is on a glide path slower have to raise some questions. And remember too, even if we get one, call it two Fed rate cuts in 2024, rates are still gonna be higher than they were in 2021, 2022. So there will still be some drag there. So, you know, the windup in my thinking is that um, we'll see some earnings growth, but we need to see a lot of multiple expansion to hit some of those numbers we were just talking about. Yeah, and I agree with that. And uh, as far as the FedWatch tool goes, that is to his credit, and Jerome Powell doesn't get a lot of this. Um, he has telegraphed every move. Uh, yes. So when you hear that, you know, we're comfortable and we're now on the path to get the 2% inflationary target, that is a good thing. That doesn't mean we have to now cut rates. Um, a lot of us believe they did have one extra cut rate, uh, uh, one extra hike that wasn't necessary and it gives them wiggle room to get back to that 5% floor or just under 5%. Um, I think what Powell has continued to say is we're data dependent. We'll go one meeting at a time, one data yep. dependent, uh, CPI being the big one or PCE is the one they like to follow. And then 
digest it and see what goes on. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think anything's going to happen in January. It's going to be the same narrative, but he could pivot to saying there's a possibility things are going well that we could actually cut and get back down to 5%. My fear is, why are we cutting? Are we cutting because we did something wrong? Is something Did something happen that we need to cut? I believe this is the beginning of the new normal. And that COVID you know, craziness over the last three years, we went from one extreme to the other. The pendulum mm -hmm, is finally mm -hmm. swinging back into balance and we can even out and then get back to a Fed that can raise and lower rates on, you know, relative to what the cycle is doing instead of, you know, having to play catch up like they did over the last year. So you're thinking, it sounds like, that rates could ultimately be that that more normalized level, call it 3%, 3.5%. At some point in time, we're not trudging all the way back towards, you know, sub 1%, let's say, at, at least based on what we know today. Yeah, I, th I think those days are over. I mean, we're old enough to remember mortgage rates at 6% being excited about that and looking <laughs> to, you know, get my first, you know, my first house at five and three quarters. And I thought I was a genius then refi I, uh, under four. I got my first house at 8%. So when I moved down to six and then ultimately below four, I was ecstatic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I, and, and that's what's going to happen again because you have uh, this whole like. Let, let's look at one sector, the home builders. That was the one sector no one saw coming. How is it that mortgage rates went up to eight percent and so quickly, and home builders were making new highs? That was very telling in itself. That this is an area that should not be doing well with the mortgage rates increasing. So yeah. the big problem is eighty-eight percent of the people already have that fixed rate that is well below where we are now. So they're not moving out of their homes. The people that are on the sidelines waiting to move in, the demand is there. Now, if the rates decrease to under 7%, you're going to see a rush to people to buy because they, they'll they remember that recency bias. It was just at eight. Now it's down a percent. You get mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. and then if it continues to go lower, then you start to refinance. So I think the housing market will continue to do well over the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, and if mortgage rates can get back to 6%, that recency bias will kick in and people will be out there, especially the new home buyers, saying, all right, I can get in. And, and for old timers like you and me, that's kind of where we started 25, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think our big decision is where do we go next and when? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm not moving out with my mortgage rate the way it is. That's well, that's sure. but that's but that's that speaks right to the housing market, right? Because you yeah. need to see existing home sales pick up, people trading up, right? So you can see other new home sales kind of follow through. And and I agree with you. Look, you know, we we've been on the sidelines in the AAP bullpen with Builders First Source. You know, they service all the home builders. I I very much like that. Um, you know, uh, buy the bullets, not the guns approach to investing as well as pain point investing. Uh, so we're waiting and seeing, you know, when we can do something with that. Um, but, you know, the only wrinkle to that housing outlook, Jay, is that, you know, if we do see the economy slow more than expected, that means we're going to see uh, slower job growth. And historically, the housing market is really tied, you know, people think mostly to mortgage rates, but it really has a lot to do with job creation and job movement. Yeah, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some of these home building stocks that have just 
broken out to new highs like the Toll Brothers, and now they're flagging. Um, you know, I, I do follow the price action first, and price action to me is telling that uh, they want to go uh, a little higher from where they are right now, and uh, the demand does remain strong. But it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because I think that could be a big story once they start the lower rates to see how the housing market reacts to that as mortgage rates come down. What what other sectors are you watching, Jane? I, I ask sectors because, you know, I know a lot of people like to talk about them. Personally, I, I look at it more of a horizontal approach with thematics. But from a sector perspective, what, what else is catching your eye? Yeah, well, I always look at things from a top-down perspective. And the one thing I do in my in my just daily research is I look at the 11 Spider Select ETFs that basically break down your 11 primary sectors. And uh, I'm seeing what's leading. It continues to be technology. And that's what always leads in a bull market going back to the 90s. All right, before that, it was industrials. But I'm seeing movement in the industrials, in the materials, both up for the year. Um, energy had its run. I... I, I'm happy that energy is kind of stalled out here. That's good for us at the pump. Uh, but the, the sector that I'm watching right now, interestingly enough, are the financials. Uh, the financials have been under a lot of pressure. And now when you go underneath the surface, the financials are a little tricky because you have Visa and MasterCard, uh, which are breaking out all-time highs, look fantastic. Talk about stocks that got back to their 2022 levels and are just breaking out. Those two are poster children for that. Um, and then you look at some of the regional banks that have gotten beaten down. I think there could be more of a mean reversion there. So from a short-term perspective, the risk-reward setups that I'm seeing in the financials is actually favorable to the bulls because the floor seems to be in. And if it reverts just to the mean, if it makes half of its loss back, you're looking at a phenomenal gain. So that's the sector that's really caught my eye. And obviously, you continue to watch uh, you know, how the technology sector does and what's leading within the sector. And then consumer discretionary has been on a nice run. Uh, you know, there isn't one that I say, oh, you got to dive into it. But I think uh, here's my, my most frustrating sector. It's healthcare, XLV. The XLV has been going sideways for about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And then this is where the tide doesn't lift all the boats. You have to look underneath the hood. What is leading? Eli Lilly's leading. What's lagging? Pfizer. Oh, my God. What a dog. Um, but can Pfizer rebound? It probably could. Look at what happened in um, the retail sector. You have three primary stocks. You have Walmart, which is the leader, making 52-week highs going into its earnings. Then you had Home Depot treading water, a little underwater. Um, and then you had Target that had been beaten down. What stock performed the best? It was Target. Why? Because it was beaten down the most. It wasn't because they had a great earnings quarter. Um, watching Foot Locker today, having a nice little rebound. These are this Macy's was up 30%. In fact, uh, Gap Stores, this was a stat that I was floored by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can check. Gap Stores had its best day in the history of Gap Stores. That history goes back to 1980. It was its best day since its IPO day when it was up 30% after earnings. These stocks are so beaten down. Any little good news and you get a nice run. Look at stocks like PayPal. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's it's a dog. I wouldn't be in it. But the mean reversion can give you a 15% rec recovery. So so two things, Jay. One, one let, let's just remind folks that you're trading, right? This mm -hmm. is not long-term investing, right? Uh, this is uh, two to three months. Two to three months. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So not day-to-day, not week-to-week, not week, but you're not sticking around for a year either. 
No, and when I start to talk faster and get excited, then I'm really talking about trading and what I'm seeing right now. Is <laughs> no, if we want to back it out, um, and that is the most important thing. Uh, as a personal investor, I am a long-term investor. I buy what I know. I buy what I use. I buy what I believe in. I buy in strong uptrends. Uh, when I take action into stocks, uh, I look at stocks that are breaking out. Momentum is going into them, um, and then I follow them as long as the trend continues. So there are setups right now that I like that I'm moving money into. There are stocks that I'll put away, and I don't look at Apple. I don't look at Microsoft. I don't look at NVIDIA. Um, these are stocks that I've gotten family members into. I wish I listened to myself half the time uh, and got myself into some of these instead of played around too much. But uh, time frame is the most important thing. So when anyone listens to this, you have to know, am I an active trader? Is Jay giving me advice? So, oh, this footlocker rally could recover, you know, another 10% over the near term. Yes, it, it could. Long term, no, it's still in a horrible downtrend. You probably want to avoid it. Uh, the stocks that I believe in are still the leaders. The Walmarts of the world will be the best performer of those retail stocks that I mentioned. But over the next month or so, probably not. But over the long term, that's where you want to be. So I, I'm glad you uh, slowed me down there and made the clarification. <laughs> So the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and this, is a, this isn't something that I've actually talked with uh, anybody else about before, but I hear what you're saying about you know Target being beaten down and some of these others. It almost makes me think about the idea that at the end of the year, going into the new year, you could buy some of the dogs of the Dow. Yeah, I love the dogs of the Dow. It doesn't always work, but last year, what was one of the big dogs? It was Salesforce.com. And what is one of the biggest leaders in, in the Dow? Salesforce.com. Um, it does have a tendency to work over time, over average. It's just the the five laggards for the year. Um, next year will be Walgreens Boots Alliance. You couldn't pay me to buy Walgreens Boots Alliance. <laughs> I don't even know why it's in the Dow. WBA, the symbol there. But it could be one of the leaders up 20% because the stock just broke below 20 for the first time ever. And maybe it rallies to 25 and you have a 20% gain. So it's right. skewed how I look at these things. But um, the one stock that has been a dog that I think is there too, actually, in the Dow, Nike and Disney. These are stocks that you know, Disney I've owned since my daughter was born in 2003, my Disney princess. You know, when someone gives you $100 for a one-year-old birthday party, what do you do? Eh, we'll put it into a stock for her. It's Disney, and that works out great. Uh, my, my kid born in 2005, uh, I don't even want to tell you what I bought him, but uh, he, he looks down on his sister. He, he's, he's a Google boy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you put money in 2005, 2006, 2007 into Google, and you just let it go. And uh, that was good. But that's exactly time frame by what I think is going to be around for a long time. And those two stocks, Disney and Nike, finally did two things. One, they stopped going down. OK, when, when you are turning a ship as big as Nike, as big as Disney, that's been under pressure for two years now, you, you have to, one, stop going down. That's the technician in me. Two, then form a base. And then three, have the fundamental story behind it. And I think the Bob Iger story is just starting to take shape. The price finally stopped going down. Is there more work to do? Hell yeah. Do they need to come out with a good movie? Yes. Have you seen Wish? No one has. That's my point. <laughs> they need to come out with something that will get more eyeballs to them. And they have the right man there. So fundamentally, I like that it's you know set up to finally reverse. And then risk reward. All right. If this thing breaks 80, I'm out. That's it. it, it the pain is too much. It, it just can't get 
get itself righted and I'll go somewhere else. But now when I look at it, it feels like the story is changing and now you have a new year, new leader, and uh, the chart is turning up. It's above its 200-day moving average for several days now. Uh, that's positive. So those are the dogs that I like. The strategy isn't foolproof. Uh, I'll, I'll give you Walgreens Boots Alliance as an example. It was a dog <laughs> last year and a dog again. Uh, but who knows? It, it could it could have that dead cat bounce. And, you know, if it's still in it, let me make a bold prediction on your on your podcast right now. This time next year, Walgreens Boots Alliance will not be in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And oh, for the love of God. If it if it is, then the people at the Dow, we got to poke them with a stick and wake them up because I don't understand it. The index so. is phenomenal. It's very it, it has one of the widest scopes of all the indexes, believe it or not. It's not tech heavy. It's it's very well right. balanced. Um, and uh, they haven't rebalanced in a while. So it wouldn't shock me to see a few new names make that list. All right, I'm writing this down. November 29th, 2024. Mm -hmm. No WBA in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. We will see. Yes. Two last questions for you, Jay, before we get out of here. Your outlook, um, you know, certainly bullish. What's the biggest risk? What keeps you up at night? Um, everything keeps me up at night. I just never sleep. That's just my own problem. But, um, you know, you can never factor in that geopolitical event. Right now, CBC reported this yesterday. Um, there is another virus in China. I'm not going to make a bold prediction that this is another version of COVID and it's going to strike us. But now I'm hearing things. Those are the things that no one in their right mind will predict. Um, a geopolitical event. Uh, a catastrophic uh, event like uh, another virus. So right now, barring any catastrophic event, I, I think we've gotten through the worst of what we went through economically in this economic cycle. Uh, it'll be very interesting to watch the presidential election mm -hmm. as we get closer. That really won't start to have an impact until we get through Super Tuesday. I believe that is uh, late March, early April. Um, and uh, by then, you know, we, we get to April. We're at the April is actually the strongest month of the year. Um, once we get through there, I, I, I think uh, it could be a choppy, choppy summer into the election cycle. Uh, but uh, I don't want to get too far ahead of my skis. I still like how things are set up for the next few weeks into the beginning of this year. And uh, some of these long term names uh, that have gone the full roundabout from their 2020 2022 peak to 2023 highs and above, like Microsoft, NVIDIA, uh, the price actually continues to be positive. And uh, these continue to be the leaders that I would want to be in and just not look at every day. Okay. And then yesterday on Twitter, I put a poll out asking if anybody has used uh, buy now, pay later, given what we heard from Adobe and Block, or have there, are they contemplating it? Or no way, I'm paying cash full price, see you later. How do you vote, Jay? Oh my God, I voted yes. And I was in, it was like 91% of the, what, what was the poll results? Uh, 91% well, of the, the poll. The poll's not active? over yet. The poll's not okay. over yet. But as, as as I look at it, around 88, 89% said, no way. And that's why I'm in the minority. I like the fact that they said that. Um, credit card rates are 28, 30%. Here's a chance to actually buy something over time and not get hit with those exorbitant fees. Um, I've used the firm through um, 
through Amazon in the past to buy a rowing machine uh, because I didn't want to, you know, have that big ticket item after just having one or two around Christmas. So I spread it out for payments of about $400 over four months and it, it didn't hurt. It felt nice. Um, I think buy now, pay later, uh, people are underestimating the power of it. And I think that given these credit card rates, when people can't pay off that credit card bill and they see what they had to pay in fees, they're going to start to flock to it a little bit more. Uh, so that is something that I think is here to stay. Now, there are going to be winners and losers in that space. We'll see how it shakes out. But uh, a firm with their relationship with Amazon, knowing that I've used them myself and, and seeing the trajectory that the bottom seems to be in, looks like the best play in that space. All right. All right. All right. I always eye it for my Apple products because, you know, 0% interest. Stick it on the what's Apple better, card. What's better than 0%? I not much, not much. All right, Jay, before we get out of here, anything we didn't talk about that we should? You know, you have been so thorough with your questions that we, we've done the thing. But the one thing that I, I, I like, the one theme I think is going to come back is the fact that the tide doesn't necessarily lift all boats. This has been very selective. The winners in different sectors continue to do well. And, you know, I'll, I'll use a couple sectors. Eli Lilly in the healthcare sector. We know about Ozempic. We know about, uh, and that's um, Novo Nordisk, NOV is a the symbol there. These weight loss drugs are pioneering. I think that continues, but will it eventually get Johnson & Johnson to rebound? Will we see a rebound in Pfizer? Will Merck stay above 100 and break out back above 110? Uh, these are things that people aren't really doing the deep dive and looking at what the leaders are and seeing maybe the laggards will have a reason to follow. Cybersecurity is the other sector I'll give you. Uh, Palo Alto Networks, P-A-N-W, the symbol. That stock continues to make 52-week new highs. And then there are some stocks that have been beaten down that aren't going to make it in the cyber world. And there are others that have been basing and are starting to break out. CrowdStrike has gone that full roundabout and breaking out on a positive earnings today. Um, Net Cloudflare is the name. NET is the symbol. That has a phenomenal base, and that looks like it has the potential to go. And then lastly, Zscaler in that space had earnings yesterday, uh, earlier in the week for those listening. And it gapped lower after a beat and a guide that was positive, and then the price action filled the gap and it closed unchanged. So I'm seeing positive price movement, positive, positive momentum into this sector, which I think cybersecurity is one of those sectors that you have to have allocated uh, into your portfolio. Totally agree. We are, we're actually playing it in a more diversified way in the Action Alerts Plus portfolio with the CIBR ETF, getting some nice, well-rounded exposure, not betting on any one particular company. I will say, Jay, um, I'm not looking at it right now, but last night, Okta announced that it had been compromised. Kind of interesting for a cybersecurity company, OKTA. Uh, but when I saw it this morning, it looked like it was moving higher. Yeah, and uh, I think cyber threats are probably the biggest fear going forward. Um, you know, we look at the, the conflicts that happen across the world. Um, most of them are done behind desks. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not sending troops in anymore. We're doing things to attack economies. We're doing, uh, you know, drone warfare. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's a weird way of living, but this is the new norm. And uh, I think cybersecurity is a theme that's going to continue to build. So when you're in the ETF like CIBR or HACK, H-A-C-K, 
Uh, those are great ways to diversify the portfolio. What I'm looking for is leadership within it. And uh, I think that the, the CrowdStrikes, the Palo Alto, uh, are the ones that are going to continue to do well and lead the rest of the sector higher as well. Excellent. Jay Woods, Chief Global Strategist at Freedom Capital Markets. Jay, folks want to follow you on Twitter. Where do they go? Uh, they can follow me at jwoods3. And uh, my pinned tweet is actually a place you mentioned my newsletter. I appreciate you reading it. Um, uh, if you looked at my pinned tweet at jwoods3, uh, it has the Freedom Capital Markets logo. You touch that and you can sign up and you'll get a Monday update. And what we do is we just generally go over the key themes we're watching from week to week. We'll pick out two or three stocks. We'll dive into the charts and uh, you know, have a little fun with it. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's good reading. Yes, it is. I, I read it every Monday, as you know, Jay. Um, you know, thank you so much for joining us, Jay. We're going to do this again, probably sometime in the first quarter. Uh, as soon as Walgreens gets, Walgreens gets booted out of the uh, index, I will be your first guest, I hope. <laughs> All right, Jay Woods. Have a good day, my friend. You too. Great joining you and your audience.